Am I introducing or are you introducing? Uh, this is a buckler, so you're introducing again. Okay, got it. All right, going live in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. Uh, timeline. Wow. Timeline, eh? Yeah, you know what? I want to redo that. You cut this later. <clears throat> all right. One, two. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Axel Wright, doing my best to keep cheery in said darkest timeline, and with me as always is... Lord Commander Ulrich. How you doing, Ulrich? Uh, as best as you can, given the state of everything. True. It doesn't help that literally once we started, my stomach just started screaming at me, so we're going to see how this recording goes. <laughs> <laughs> We anyway, we are coming off of a little hiatus. Something else I don't know if something else was released before this, but uh for us it's been probably like three or four weeks since we sat down just because things have been going on that we've talked about in other recordings, so we're not gonna talk about it here. So, before we get into our topic, where we can get into the meat of conversation, we've got to and we want to, nay, the pleasure to talk about our patrons, those members of the Illustrious Legion who actually pay us to do what we do. And the least we can do in repayment is to say their names out loud. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brandon Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donald Lucy, Nathan Willis, Patrick Anderson, Carson Emmel, and Scott Rubin. Now, if you'd like to become a patron and add, have your name added to that list, then head on over to our Patreon, Geeks with Shields. For a dollar a month, you get 25 cents an episode or less because we'll put out four or more things. And it goes a long way towards helping us with this podcast. Anyway, Ulrich, tell the audience what we're here to talk about today. We're, we've gotten to this well before, but we're going to put our own little, we're going to twist this one a little. We're talking about accuracy and adaptation, namely in how it applies to comics. Because this one kind of came to me, and this is a fun one. Because I, at time of recording, we just got the Miss Marvel trailer. And, oh boy, were there some reactions to the adaptation of her power. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, because I forgot about that, but I actually do have... I do have some important things to say about that, because I love Miss Marvel. I love Kamala Khan. Despite... I, I've not really read many of her comics. I've just read about her, and I've seen her in some team-ups and stuff, but every time she's around, I I love her as a character. And... There's something going on there that I want to talk about in a moment. But also, we just recently got... Didn't we get the first episode of the Halo show? Yeah, Halo show just dropped and has also been met with very mixed reactions. Yeah, I haven't seen that uh, yet. I, I had, I'm curious. The things I'm hearing, I want to see. And what's making it difficult is, like all video game things, there's a lot of racism tainting the discussion. Which is... Unfortunately, it's the same deal with the, well, not the exact same deal, but with the Miss Marvel thing. Like, I saw a bunch of people making a criticism that I agreed with, but for reasons that I thought were not correct or stupid. Which, yeah. I hate when that happens because it's like, you're right, but you're right for the wrong reasons and you're making my side look bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I've been there on lots of things. It's like, we agree, but you're a piece of shit, and I'm not, and I don't want to be associated with you, so I'm just going to shut up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, but the reason I brought the Halo thing is because this whole conversation always brings me back to many years ago, I think in like 2009 or something like that, I saw a video done by uh, Movie Bob Chipman where he was talking about, I think it was his very first big picture. He was talking about the idea of a Halo movie, yeah. and 
At the time, he said, you can make a good adaptation out of anything, but sometimes in order to do so, you have to gut it to the point where it's almost unrecognizable. So, I think he said you can make a good film, not adaptation. Key word there, because there's a difference between making a good film and a good adaptation. And I think that's the key, kind of a, a cornerstone of what we're talking about here. So yeah, you got to know what to change and where to change it. And we're going to do comics because trying to do this as a much bigger concept, we'll have to come back around to with a full episode. Yeah. And let me give an example. Let's, let's use the Miss Marvel thing as an example. So the trailer dropped. The trailer is hitting almost all of the right beats tonally from, and I have read a several Miss Marvel comics, just not enough of them to claim like some sort of like mastery, but I've read enough of them to understand the basic, I think, appeal. And keep in mind that part of the appeal for me is how different she is as a character from who I am. I like when comics can give me a view into a reality, a experience that is not my own. So I just want to put that up front that I recognize that. Now, the thing that a lot of people are bitching about, I mean, there's a lot, there's a couple things that people are bitching about, but the one that I want to latch onto is that her powers are not necessarily the same and don't have the same origin in the in the comic i didn't get far enough to see the real detail but i believe she's basically an inhuman whose power comes from is awakened from an exposure to a certain kind of gas terrigen gas it's the thing that makes inhumans inhumans but marvel doesn't want to do inhumans after they tried the last time and correct that part but her power when it's displayed is she's a shapeshifter she's She's basically like Mr. Fantastic most of the time. She uses similar powers to stretch her body, to make her limbs bigger, stuff like that. Now, in the trailer, it looks more like she's getting an alien artifact that's giving her what I can only describe as Green Lantern-looking kind of powers, where she can it's create... a deep... I don't remember what it's called, because I'm not a big Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel reader, but it's apparently... They have a name, and it's a throwback to, like, the days of Marvel. Yeah, and she's basically creating light constructs. Now, there is one moment where she seems to use their powers to make her arm... It, I don't know if it's getting bigger or just a light construct around her arm, but it, it that kind of replicates her giant fists that she's most normally known for. Now, I have no problem, generally speaking, with really changing a character's powers. For instance, I had no problem with Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones in the comic bears basically no resemblance power-wise to Jessica Jones in the Netflix series. And that doesn't bother me at all. And that's not because of, like, I don't like Jessica Jones or anything. I do like Jessica Jones. I'm just saying that in that case, Jessica Jones's power set in the comic was not directly tied to her characterization. So it didn't really matter what her powers are, just that she has powers. But Kamala Khan isn't like that. Her power has a direct narrative parallel with her character because Kamala Khan's whole, not her whole thing, but one of her defining things is that she's an American Muslim teenager and wherever she is in her life, I mean, physically she has to put on different, just to be a different person. She has to change who she is depending on the situation she's in. When she's at school with her friends, she's one person. When she's at home with her family, she's another person. When she's dealing with 
her religious side, she's another person. When she's dealing with her superhero side, she's like another person. Her her story and her character is a lot about having to be adaptable and having to be able to put on to to change to what she needs to be in the moment, personality wise. Thus, her power mirrors that. It brings it out into a literalization. It's a visualization of what's happening internally. And so as she learns to control her power, it mirrors her character arc as she learns to balance her life. So when you change that too much, you have to change inherently how you're characterizing her or you're going to lose that cohesion. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I don't want to dwell too much on this because all we have is a trailer. So we don't know exactly. They could. what they did. My point is they could change her characterization so that this is more in line. That's why I wasn't like, this is terrible. I was like, this is concerning. Because if you change one but not the other, then you're going to create a dissonance. But that's why it's just a worry for me and not like a kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah. No, and this is also going to come up because a lot of people go to, I love the comic book event Civil War. It has its flaws, but I really, that's one I want to enjoy. But a lot of people reference that as, that is one of the best adaptations of comic to movie. True. And I'm like, I don't know. I could have used that being an Avengers-level event with a much bigger, sprawling cast. But at the same time, I'm also reaching the point, like, I don't think that could work. Now that almost has to be a Disney Plus series, and that's never going to happen because that would just be too huge and big. It would only be for, like, 20 people. Like, I mean, yes, it's, it's, I want eight episodes of superheroes debating back and forth with, you know, obscure characters getting killed in the margins. I mean, it's an ensemble for Civil War specifically. It was an ensemble cast with like literally 12 main characters. And honestly, if you look back at the history of film, that's about your limit for main yeah. characters. So. <laughs> No, otherwise it would have just been eight episodes of the final battle in Infinity War. Which is great, but... Also like I said, that would only one. really have been for like a dozen people that still really love that comic and like, no, no, I want to see all the little angles and how everyone's dealing with this. And, and don't get me I, wrong, I would have loved to see an adaptation of the Civil War moment of Thor fighting Iron Man for real. Because that's one of my favorite moments from that that wrong event. comic. Oh, wrong comic? Yeah. What am I thinking of then? You're thinking uh, Iron Man fighting Thor. Because I thought it was uh, Asgard shows back up in the middle of the country. Oh, Iron Man tries to. That's uh, that's uh, Dark Rain, Fall of Asgard. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I okay. You're because oh, in Civil War, Thor is called Ragnarok, and he's a clone that murders people. Oh, okay. The reason I think I mixed it up is because he references Civil War in the... I think he well, That's why he was pissed at Tony when he came back and he found out that Tony did that. That's right. Sorry. Forgive me. I mixed that up. Uh, it's been a while since I read that, but it's just the moment that stuck out to me and I associate with Civil War because Civil War was kind of the cause of that moment. But that, that was part of the whole Bendis era starting with Avengers Disassembled that was like these big rolling epic events, which... I have a tattoo because that's when I really got into comics was these big rolling event periods. Hmm. I know that as far as, so now I'm trying to think like, all right, what moments have I mixed up with Civil War that weren't actually there? Obviously the Spider-Man stuff with dealing with being pulled back and forth and unmasking himself, that 
<laughs> I'm not mixing that up, right? Nope, that's a big pivotal one. That that would have also been. We kind of got that in this latest Spider-Man. We did kind of get that adapted, just adapted after the fact, which is fine. But oh, there's an example of adapting and doing better. One more day into uh, No Way Home. You know that might be the best example since. One More Day is kind of universally panned as one of the worst Spider-Man comics, and they managed to take the bones of One More Day and turn it into a pretty fucking solid movie. Still, I recognize that, I know I saw your tweet where you have kind of, your opinion has kind of wavered on it, so I can respect that, but I still, I fucking love it. So <laughs> I, I'm waiting on my second viewing, because there's parts I really like, and there's parts I really don't like. And the parts I really don't like is this kind of, I've become... Um, I have a very strong reaction to this trend of, hey, remember this person from this other movie that you like? Now they're here. It's the uh, Simpsons. Remember, Alf, he's in pog form now. I will say that I think this comes down to, I think the exact thing we said before, it's still true now, is when you're adapting something, if we're talking about a comic, I feel like what you want to do is you want to latch into not the details, but the core reason that people engaged with it. When Why you latch did this story or character work in the first time? Correct. If you latch onto the details, then and then you're going to probably lose sight of that, and that's how you get something like Batman v Superman, which is all yeah. about detail without understanding the reasons why the stories it's adapting worked and or didn't work in the case of Death of Superman, but different story. <laughs> and we'll uh, dust off this old gem of the podcast and talk about Iron Man 3, which, love it or hate it, I still am not a big fan of it, and I'm still not a fan. The Mandarin one, to me, will still always bug me because I felt like there was a really interesting potential to do a magic versus technology fight that is at the heart of that character, and they just said, that sounds hard. Let's do what we've done already. So that's an interesting one for me because while I am glad that we eventually got a proper Mandarin with Shang-Chi, I still like what Iron Man 3 did, but what Iron Man 3 did was essentially try to tell a story under what was at the time seemingly a constraint, where, as we talked about before, magic didn't really become an acceptable thing as we see it in Doctor Strange until Doctor Strange. Yeah. So they basically were like, we got to bring in the Mandarin uh, at some point because he was Iron Man's greatest villain. We've done two movies without him. We gotta put him in here, but at this point in time, no one told anyone that magic will eventually be a straight up thing, so they gotta work within those confines. We also don't wanna do the racist stereotype that the Mandarin a lot of times has been. So I think that their result was to try to latch onto a different core thing with Iron Man. Now, again, Ulrich and I can disagree about the efficacy of what they did, but I still feel like they're your in the writing was in the right idea for what they were doing. So I think they had the right idea, but I feel like they only did Mandarin because, well, Iron Man doesn't have a lot of big name villains and they burned through two of them already. I mean, honestly, if I were in that position, I'm not saying that I would have done better. I'm saying that I probably wouldn't have done Mandarin at all. Like yeah. I just, I just left it in a, like we mentioned the 10 rings uh, we can leave it as a floating thing, and maybe if sometime in the future he becomes more accessible, then we can introduce him. I would have done... MODOK. 
no. Think about at that point in the MCU's timeline, a better thing to do. So here's the thing. If you look at Iron Man comics, most of them, unfortunately, from like this, from his inception up until the 2000s, were him fighting commies. <laughs> like, yeah, he was the real kind of right wing, uncomfortable. <laughs> he anyway, Tony Stark was a difficult character in the comics for a lot of reasons. So if you wanted to bring a character who would have fit in with uh, 2013 era MCU, you could do interesting stories with and would have been comic book accurate. You sh- could have done something like, honestly, that might have been a good time to introduce something like the Winter Guard, one of the members of them. You could have brought yeah, in. Yeah, do Crimson Dynamo. Yeah, like literally have him fight some, you know. But the problem was they'd done that one too many times already with he fought a guy in a suit, then he fought another guy in a suit. Well, that's why Third I would have. He fights another guy in a suit. Well, that's why I, I think, again, if I were writing, I would have had him fight, like, David Arbor's character. Uh, so instead of fighting a guy in a suit, he's fighting a superpowered person. But a superpowered person whose superpower is something that we had seen at that point, essentially a Captain America style character. Yeah. Who's also essentially think... a Black Widow style character. So. Yeah. No, the only one I would do is I would have done AIM, maybe. I don't know AIM. So... Uh, advanced ideas mechanics. It's, oh, it's oh, okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, evil. You know, Tony Stark. But we're getting off track. But that's, my, my, I mean, my point is, my point is that same thing here. Where like, if you think about what constraints your adaptation has, then then don't focus on details. Focus on what is the core enjoyment here. So with comics, if we use the one more day example, the basic emotional idea of Peter has to give up something vastly important to him from someone who knows who he is uh, in order to essentially save them. Like, that's the core emotional idea in One More Day. It fails for a number of stupid reasons, but No Way Home took that idea and was like, okay, instead of one person, it's everyone. And how does... Because I've said many times before that to me the best Spider-Man stories, the best ones are about about Peter struggling between what is right, what he wants, usually making the wrong decision, and then stepping up to take responsibility to fix the consequences of his wrong decision. And No Way Home does that. So... (laughs) And here's a fun one I think that we can, a lot of people of our age can relate to, which is the other side of... How much should it look like the comic? Because we both come of a generation that was, they never looked like the comic because that was stupid. Color, I will say. No, you were black and gray. Because God, this is why, don't remind me of fucking, sorry, X-Men 1 still makes me mad for that reason. Just, just think of all the old, I mean, the Raimi Spider-Man were such a departure because those were bright and colorful as fuck to the point we look at them now going, Okay, maybe dial it back like 30%, put in some color breaks there. Uh, I will say, you know what to me the perfect example of that is? Uh, so if, if you ask me the question, how much should it look like a comic? I'm going to point to WandaVision. I think WandaVision yeah. nails it perfectly, particularly the Scarlet Witch's outfit, which isn't, which is like 70% accurate to her comic outfit, but what's different is better. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, there's a great example, like a lot of people point out, is uh, Psylocke in uh, Apocalypse. It it looks like the comic, but when you put that on a real person, you're like, oh, no thank you. Well, that's why, like, 
not to jump around a bunch, but Electro fucking amazed me in No Way Home that they managed to give him at least a couple frames of the the stupid helmet, but for him it's made of electricity, so it works. So no, no I mean that's always been the weird thing about comics, but I think it really is. A, and this is a very case by case bias because some things they do adapt and they do work well. Other things, I think not at this so much. point, I think at this point the MCU has proved that you can adapt any design almost fully faithfully under if you've got the if you've got a smart costume designer right yep. like thor let's take thor for example right thor in the first movie his outfit is almost pitch perfect what his comic book outfit is and yet his comic book outfit on paper always seemed kind of too bombastic to exist to me yeah i'm a, I'm a big thor fan but no like, when he's not on Asgard with other Asgardians, he really sticks out like a sore thumb and not in the way he should. Like, you don't look practical. But again, even a little detail like making his chain mail, or his mail actually look like it's made of, like, scales and whatnot makes it feel yeah. a lot more tangible. Oh, waiting on that damn helmet. I mean, probably the, the hero who's most interesting in this regard, I think, as far as the MCU is concerned, is Captain America. As we've watched him go through several iterations of his outfit... When really the first movie kind of did it perfectly, and yep. and making Captain America look good in reality is sorry, it's tough because his outfit is simple but odd. <laughs> yeah, because then we got the Avengers one that everyone's like, this doesn't feel as good. It's weird because his outfit in that one hits like an uncanny valley. But still, mm-hmm. my point of going through all these examples is to answer your question: How much should it look like the comic? I'd say at minimum sixty percent. If you can hit like all right, things are recognizable. They're hitting generally the same kind of color palettes. Maybe even use some of your comics panels literally as storyboard frames. Try to get your costumes to have the same color schemes, even if you have to uh, dull them down a bit. Don't do it too much because that's shitty if you dull it down all the way. <laughs> but, you know, some outfits just don't work in live action. But you can make them work with just some modification. Yeah, the ones I will say that rarely work, it's, it's it's the elephant in the room, but it's the ladies' costumes. Those rarely ever translate well one-to-one. Which is why because, I said that Scarlet Witch's outfit is the best example of what we're talking about, because it looks it looks unmistakably like Scarlet Witch without having any of the problems that her comic book outfit has. Yeah, so it's like, that, that was not drawn with the ideas of a human body in play. Yeah, and I love the fact that, like, I don't think that Elizabeth Olsen got to do it because, you know, back in Age of Ultron, she was told that she would never get to wear the Scarlet Witch outfit on screen. And then she did. And it was fucking awesome. We even got the original Vision costume. Yeah. And you know what? That's a great example, too, of, hey, Vision's outfit, fucking dumb. So we got a modified. We got Loki. We got original Loki, which he looks like evil Kermit the Frog. Well, you know what's funny about that? I never even like thought much about how Loki looks so different in uh, in Thor originally because his outfit in Thor looked to me fully like a real life version of what his comic book outfit was like yeah that was really good costume design because yeah it's muted comparatively but it felt like a accurate adaptation of a really goofy outfit so i don't know i just this is an interesting one because comics are different than like traditional books because you literally have the storyboard and you know costume designs right there on the page 
And a lot of times they did you know Marvel? Did you know ahead. sidebar? Sin City apparently didn't have storyboard at all. They just yeah. used the comic. <laughs> and a lot of people are still debating whether that was a smart choice or not. I think if anything, it's a respectable choice. Without so. having read the comic itself, I can't comment. Yeah, but I'm saying it's it's an interesting thing. I I also say that if you're weighing, if you're working on an adaptation of a comic book and you're weighing how accurate should something be, I think you should lean towards accurate but dumb as opposed to inaccurate but tasteful because it's a it's a superhero show and if your writing is good and your actor is game, then we will we will accept a certain level of overt silliness. So yeah, you're better to lean in that direction. And I mean, Marvel really kind of has more or less cracked the formula in they've moved away from just taking the straight title because there's a couple examples of they just wanted the title. Age of Ultron comes to mind. Yeah, considering that age is only a week. (laughs) Yeah, and kind of gone into taking the title and taking the parts that work in that, you know, Civil War, No Way Home. I mean, Infinity War. Infinity War. That's more or less, yeah. So, and I mean, they've, they, no one's going to say that their costumes are bad. I mean, the only real example is Hawkeye, but Hawkeye would never... Hawkeye, it's the Ultimates Hawkeye, I guess. Yeah, well, I like that in the Hawkeye show, they at least get the purple back in. It's almost like yeah. Hawkeye's outfit is so ludicrous that I am disappointed that they didn't give us anything when he first showed up. And they are kind of having to work their way into it. I wish that from the beginning he had purple in his outfit. That's really yeah. all, I, all I wish. <laughs> but, I mean, Kate Bishop looks like her costume, more or less. Yeah. And then, of course, Daredevil looks fucking amazing still. You know, I, I, heard, that, I heard that there are people who... That's a, actually a contentious opinion. I think his outfit looks great, but... I, I know there's some people that don't like it, and I mean... He's going to get another glow up when his Disney Plus series drops, so. But for the love of God, not the yellow and black one. Please, not the yellow and black one. Yeah. Maybe, but my, maybe do a fun, you know, throwaway gag of, nah, yellow's too obvious. Yeah, but costumes are just a, a side example of the the idea of, like, how accurate are you, should you be to your comic? Again, I would say aim for 60% up, but don't aim for 100 because that's just it's probably not going to work. So it's you're, the translation. Just because it works on a written form doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work outside of that. I mean, Apocalypse in X-Men Apocalypse kind of looks like it, but that that was not the ad, adaptation. I'm really hammering on that movie, but you know what? It's well, you know what? And different, so example, Singer. different example, Watchmen, which Ulrich and I Ooh. both love. Watchmen is interesting because in a lot of ways it looks like they almost – you, again, use the comic directly as storyboard. There are a few places that they did change things. Good example, Ozymandias' outfit. Now, Ozymandias' outfit in the comic looks the way it does because he's supposed to be essentially the ultimate athlete, an Olympian, and a pharaoh all at once. I think that the choice to make it look more like just uh, like kind of glowed-up body armor for someone as smart as Adrian Veidt in the world that the movie sets up Makes sense. Do I like it better? I don't know. Um, ish, because I feel like it's not. It should be more ostentatious. I may think the colors should have probably been brighter, but it was never a thing that bothered me because Adrian Vite otherwise is adapted almost perfectly. Yeah, and that's another fun one. 
because it exists in this weird coming out of the comics can't look like comics era. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Night Owl and Comedian look as comic accurate as they do when X-Men were still wearing, you know, muted colors and Spider-Man villains still were in giant robo suits and the less said about the Batman movies, the better. Mm-hmm. You should go by your name, Robin. It's nice. Oh, God. Yeah. Like I said, I've got a lot to say about Nightwing. I I fucking love Nightwing. I was going to put that forward there. And, uh, <laughs> the fact that he hasn't gotten his day in live action makes me upset. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, I think that's... This is... I mean, we can do a whole episode going into broader adaptations. You know, yeah, but I think the same thing about. kind of applies, I think, in any adaptation. I think aim for 60 to 80%. That's the, the range you want. Um, I think that that's where you're going to be safest. Mostly try to get the... You focus, first of all, on making a good story, and as your basis for making a good story, figure out what made the thing you're adapting a good story in the first place. Then figure out how your medium that you're trying to adapt it into can add to that core. Yeah. So, anyway, that's my pretentious lecture on uh, <laughs> on medium and art. So... I I just thought this was a fun one to talk about because we are big comic nerds, because we're seeing literally the Marvel stuff being strip-mined to the most, I mean, Winter Garden Moon Knight are in the MCU now. Come on. I never thought that was going to happen. The Black Knight's in there. Yeah, a Black Knight is even is way more niche than even Moon Knight, man. Like that. Oh, I can't wait to see how they do his comic. I wonder if it's going to be the leather jacket. I hope it's the leather jacket. I don't know. I I do know that to to go back to the beginning of this conversation, I am super hype for Miss Marvel. Like, despite my concern, I can't wait to see this character adapted. So I think anyone who sees her difference in power, which again I'm not a fan of and tries to use that as a way to throw out mean or, you know, overly aggressive criticism at this point is, I want to say it, is a moron, because we haven't seen the show yet. So. Yeah, and I mean, Marvel's got a pretty good batting average on these things, so I think it's good. But anyways, let us know what you think. All right, catch you later.